Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall, and I'm a folklore researcher. Dear listener, I hope you're well. In the Northern Hemisphere, we feel like we're fully stepping now into the darker months. Evenings have become colder and, of course, darker. I've noticed a great deal of spiders making their way inside, and I'm enjoying hot water bottles again. The world outside seems to be in a spin, with apparent tussles going back and forth. For me, it feels like a time to hunker down and go inside. This time of year always presents the usual colds and viruses, so I'm thinking about what my body needs in terms of rest, recuperation and nutrition, and I'm glad of the elderberry syrup I made a couple of months back. I always stock up on echinacea in drop form too, which is particularly good at boosting the immune system. I'm returning my attention to research now that I'm back from a recent trip to Nottingham. It was the second gathering of so-called Nomas, that's myself, Dr Neil Rushton and Kate Ray, who were part of a wider group, including Dr Simon Young, Dan Green and Dr Jack Hunter, who composed essays for the Woolerton Park Gnomes, a Nottingham fairy mystery. It is, of course, centred around a multiple witness sighting which took place in 1979 in Woolerton Park, involving a group of six children who reported seeing gnomes there, driving cars, no less. This took place in the original grounds of Woolerton Hall, a Tudor mansion. The hall itself was built atop a hill, and beneath the hill lies a well. On this trip, I was able to visit the well, which can still be reached by hand-dug caves beneath the hall. The team were joined by some guest researchers and experience this weekend. And I'm currently creating a video to highlight our exciting findings. On Patreon, I've already released a chat with experiencer Rick, who I met with at Woolerton Park. He had contacted me some months ago. In 1977 or 8, he witnessed a space hopper sized orange orb float across in front of a van that he was travelling in and bound over the wall of Woolerton Park without touching the road surface. The driver of the van he was travelling in had to halt to an emergency stop to avoid hitting this orb, and they were both rather shocked afterwards and couldn't explain what had happened. I'm receiving other messages from people too about experiences that they've had in Wollaton Park, so I'd love to hear from you if you have anything to share. A massive thanks goes out, as always, to my wonderful patrons, the Curious Crew, for supporting this podcast and project. There are lots of interesting bonuses to come in the coming months. Our next Zoom will be November the 1st, otherwise known as Sawain, and we'll take the opportunity to share strange tales with one another. This episode's share is quite breathtaking in its extremity. We hear from a man who recalls an inexplicable happening as a young child in Appalachia. Drawn by music, he finds himself alone in the forest and later is drawn into a situation which could have ended with tragic consequences. There is a trigger warning here for child-related harm, missing children and potential drowning. It's a very moving share and so please carefully consider listening if you have any sensitivity towards these topics. On the bonus episode I share an excerpt from Yeats's Celtic Twilight and a story collected by 19th century folklorist Thomas Crofton Croker, both of which relate to the real experience you're about to hear. I hope you enjoy listening. Huge thanks to our guest and I'll see you at the end for a quick chat. Time 
Well, I never really did have any interest. I had the experiences, and they're very vivid. And uh, I would, you know, say they're about as real as my life is right now. I mean, they, they were incredible experiences, but I was raised Christian, and my mother was a devout Christian. And so anything occult or anything that deviated from the Bible was uh, forbidden. It was absolutely, and she felt really strongly about that too. Um, but uh, when I got into my teenage years, that then I, I started to get uh, fascinated with it. I started reading books and things and the mystery of, uh, you know, certain characters, historical characters. and. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how it went for me. And then as of late in my life, I've been able to really just, uh, I've, I've been diving into all of these subjects. I just have it at a, a point where I want to absorb as much of it as I possibly can. Um, and uh, I've never had the opportunity to do that because I, I work full time and then the rest of my life was, you know, taken up by other things. And uh, now I'm able to just read and study. And the Internet is, you know, a fantastic place to to find new information and uh, and learn more. And uh, so, yeah, if that answers your question, uh, you know, strictly very Christian. And 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 of course, all the teachings of Christ were real important to me when I was a kid. I didn't, I always fought it. You know, going to church on Sunday to me was like going to hell. You know, it was, I didn't want to go. I wanted to run through the woods, but that's what I had to do. And then ultimately, um, that wisdom really did sort of uh, take hold and uh, I absorbed it. And probably that was my my beginning uh, foray into mysticism was, you know, through Christ. And that's probably not a bad, yeah. bad way to go. Of course, there's, you know, all of the conjecture that, that what he was really saying was, this is the path that we all need to be on. And instead, they've attributed it to a single individual, mm. in spite of him saying you know, otherwise. Um, mm. Mm. So the interpretation of that stuff is really, it's difficult. But uh I think it still leads you in a direction of spirituality and what can be better than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I, I agree. I also went to Roman Catholic primary convent school. I think that was a positive experience. And I've always loved hearing about the stories of Jesus. And thankfully, it was a, you know, uh, on the whole, it was a positive environment and, you know, taught you about being kind um, being, you know, compassionate, and these stories of, of Jesus and of Mary and of the the parables, I always found those fantastically interesting. In fact, they used to set up the classroom for mass, so they would change either the hall where we sat and gathered, or our classrooms as we got older for mass. And the the ritual ceremony that comes with Roman Catholicism. I, I loved all of that. And this very genuine, these genuine priests that used to come in and hold that mass, who was particularly special, I feel. So, yeah, I definitely learned, same as you, to pick out the parts that really meant something to me and and brought that with me throughout my life. Yeah, I was reading, uh, someone made the point that uh, the early Christian church was, was filled with, loaded with uh, phenomena. And then later on, they they began uh, to repress that that sort of thing. That that those things didn't happen anymore, and we didn't need to see any more miracles or anything. But I don't agree with that. I think that it's happening all the time, and people are not able to see it because they're so focused on this material world. And you know that's a problem because you really need to open your mind and heart to what's really out there, and Religion becomes repressive. It, it actually uh, becomes uh, more detrimental than than good. And obviously, you know, throughout history, we can see that some people didn't actually listen to Christ, but they pretended to be part of what he represented. And, uh, and it's sad because it turns so many people away, and they get angry, 
there's a lot of uh, strife in this country, you know, with religion at large and, uh, and people that, you know, want to be free and do what they think is right. I guess there's always going to, I guess that's always going to happen, though. Um, it, it never seems to have changed over thousands of years of civilization. Uh, people want to believe, you know, they know what's right and what's better for other people. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And I guess if people have their own experiences, that's a really positive thing. If they, wh- whatever they believe in and, and whatever faith they have, if they're having their own personal spiritual experiences, I think that this is key in order to feel connected and to start kind of mending what's going on in our society that, you know, we, we see this everywhere. And I think once you connect in and you have some kind of personal experience with source, whatever you regard that source as being God or, you know, Skyfather or uh, any other understanding of that source, then you may also find it easier to connect with others too who maybe have a a different point of view uh, because you can sense firsthand you know what's true for you and what might be true for somebody else Um, yeah I think that can can only be a positive thing and I hope I hope that we get to a point where things are mending I would love to hear about your experience that you had as a little boy because when I first read your email that you sent to me, it very much reminded me of another story that I heard from a woman who, in the end, decided that she she didn't want to go public with her story. It would be lovely to hear from her again, actually, because I, I, I then didn't hear from her for a while. But she had a really harrowing experience where she was led into a situation very similar to yours. And so instantly, I just felt this is very interesting because I wonder how regularly these occurrences are happening that we don't know anything about. And it was it was extreme, as yours seems to sound as well. It sounds like a very extreme, very encounter. How would you like to start with that? Well, it's for me, it's a, it's a, memory and a very it's a very vivid memory of an experience and and i'll just go ahead and recount it i was probably about six or seven years old and i was up in the upper peninsula of michigan on the western side and uh i had uh gotten up in the morning like any other day but i i felt uh like a strong uh, kind of like I was already magnetized, I think, and and I, I you know made my way into the woods like I always do, and uh, started uh, just heading in one direction, and I and I felt a strong sense of uh, it wasn't like an urgency or anything, but I just had a you know this curious feeling that I wanted to go uh, in a different direction that morning, and I ended up in a in an old growth forest. Uh, and uh, so this would be uh, like, I think uh, they call them arboreal, subalpine, um, real, very beautiful hardwoods, birches, maples, oaks, and uh, old, old trees that from the original uh, forest there. Uh, they mowed down most of it, which is a tragedy. But I uh, started to hear music and, uh, and a, a Rhythmic with all uh, sort of a was chaotic, but it was um, loaded, just rich with sonic tones uh, like flutes and drums. And uh, and it was right on top of my ears. And uh, I started to run towards that. I can remember that I was running. And and the the music was just so powerful and it was so seductive uh, that I needed to find it. You know, I, I, that was my goal was to to get there. And at one point, I can remember um, I'm looking at the the sun's higher in the sky now, and there's shadows of trees, and I could see my own shadow on the ground. And I realized I wasn't running anymore, but I was moving. 
and uh, I could see my shadow. I could see the sunlight. I could see the, the shadows of the tree branches and the dappled light on the ground. And and I honestly, you know, I believe that I was levitating at that point because I can remember thinking, well, I'm not running, but I'm I'm flying. I'm moving very fast now. And and then it's uh, I had lost my shoes and my shirt at that point, and and I I don't know how long that went on, but I uh, ended up in this part of the forest, standing up at a mound. And it was, um, you know, geographically, there would be no reason for a mound to be out here in this forest, this ancient forest. And and I just stood at it, uh, mesmerized, and the music had faded at that point. Uh, but it was a, just a really intense uh, physical uh, uh, feeling of sensation of just like, it was impossible to describe, you know, my whole nervous system was just lit up. I mean, and uh, and then that that faded and I was standing there looking at the mound and trying to understand what it was. And I could sense that that these things were all around me. It was palpable, the feeling of the presence of whatever they were. And I, at that point, in my life I had no way to define them or even comprehend this experience. And I finally kind of gathered my senses at, at some point. I think I stood there for quite a while, just staring at the mound and trying to, to understand what, what happened and what this thing was, because it, it, it just didn't fit in with the landscape at all. Uh, and eventually I just made my way to the back of it. I thought to circle it, I was, which is uh, apparently a way to enter into a fairy mound I learned later in life. But but when I got around the back of it, I just, uh, at that point, I took off my shorts and, you know, just felt right to be naked for some reason and uh, made my way down the hill, which was behind the mound, mm -hmm. to the lake and went in the lake. And um, I don't know why, I just went swimming and the water was freezing cold um but I, I never felt anything i swam all the way out to the middle of this lake and i was just out there paddling around and uh trying to to get a sense of what you know happened and where i was and which way i needed to go i guess all the the normal instinctual things that you know the that you would you know think about at six years old since you really don't have much else to go on and uh these fishermen saw me and they came over and i said no i'm good <laughs> just leave me alone and they said no no come on get in the boat and they picked me up and put me in the boat and they're like oh god he's naked you know and so i just kind of hunkered down in the boat and they took me to the boat ramp and by then my family was looking for me um i had been gone the better part of the day and it all seemed like minutes naturally. So this this time shift thing, I think that's important. Uh, but uh, it was an incredible experience, and it's just emblazoned in my memory. And uh, later on, I learned about the glamours and the fairy music, and how how hypnotic that is. And uh, you know, some people, if they hear something like that in the woods, they will run. They will go the other direction. But, you know, a, a kid, I guess, you know, you just want to explore it. Possibly it was it was I think that my I think they observed me in the woods at some point and that they actually were calling me in. That That's the sense I get that they wanted to somehow meet with me or make some kind of contact. Um but I, like I said, I was never afraid. I never felt any any malevolence or anything like that, though it may have been a, a foray into another world if I wasn't careful. I mean, who knows what might have happened. People do disappear up there and in, in those woods all the time. And I mean, they disappear without any trace. So you, you wonder about things like that. You know, you spoke about as a child, you were six or seven and you had that first experience and I know that you mentioned that it was somewhere that you'd played before and that maybe the beings of that place had 
had seen you, had observed you. And that's an interesting idea to me too. So what did you used to do? So obviously you were you were living in a different home by then because to be able to just go out of your door and into the woods. Uh, we, we had actually by then uh, moved out into uh, the country. And then, and then, uh, this is my, my stepbrother's grandparents, and we would go up there, uh, for summers and, and spend the summer up there. And, uh, so yeah, at that point, my life really, really got, uh, a lot more rural, uh, where we were out in the woods every day. And there were just thousands of acres of forest, uh, where, where I lived. At that point, and then of course we would go up to the Upper Peninsula, which is um, really, really in those days. Um, that's back in the 70s, so that's it was. We had to drive 60 miles just to get to any little town. There were no no stores or anything like that. You went to town once a week and bought groceries for the week, and, and that's how you did it. Um, and there were all these lakes, these beautiful glacial lakes and the old forest uh, growth. And, and then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, we would you know, go snowmobiling in the winter and um, hunt and uh, just tromp through the woods uh, endlessly. You know, that was what I did every, every single day. I'd either be fishing or running through the woods and uh and and that's where i kind of got a sense that you know i wasn't alone out there i had a a pretty strong sense that that there was something with me you know you never feel like you're alone out there and i think that's um that's true of the ocean too um when you get out on the ocean by yourself you get a sense of 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 having something there with you and uh probably all forms of of spirit energy but the forests up there were especially magical and uh, it was probably not surprising that i had such a direct experience with them and they're so good at camouflage i mean they can be uh 10 feet away and you'll never see them they they can actually merge like energy through the landscape uh and then other times they can appear Apparently, they can't always control that. Uh, sometimes they don't want to be seen. I've understood uh, people have told stories about how they, they get upset when you, you do see them and they, they don't want to be seen. Uh, in fact, that lady on your show mentioned that, that she had one in her garden that got angry and uh, started to curse and walk away. <laughs> yeah. So funny. I've never had any. I've never had any uh, verbal exchange with them, though. In my experience, they've never said anything. So that's that's pretty amazing. Mm. Um, mm. But you know, the whole experience of uh, I think you know a lot of people would do really well to get out there. And and when you do, you realize you say, "Why did I wait so long to to go and walk through the woods?" It's such mm. a beautiful experience um and you never know what sort of magical things might happen um but they're always there i i've I've sensed that they're always there um oh and there's another experience i had in uh southwest florida um i i was walking down a trail and uh um i came into an area and immediately i saw like a basket weave around the tree and uh, that was a, an indication to me. And then as I came into the next part of the trail, the, the entire landscape had this groomed effect. And the trees had been pulled across the trail in an arch, like an arch, for a period. And, and I'm trying to think, who would do something like that? And you'd actually have to bring a ladder out here. To do that, so that is not like something that a human would do, and I, I, I realized that this is it. They're here, right here in this part of the woods, and um, I didn't think much of it. I tried to tried to make contact. I didn't have any luck. They they weren't interested, um, and uh, I came back a couple of days later, and someone had left an offering, 
and they had a, a candle burning. Uh, so I wasn't the only person that knew that they were there. So that, that was kind of confirmation, you know, because it, it's, it's always on the edge of your imagination, you know, when these things happen, that it's such a, uh, you know, you have to cross over to that non-reality to, to actually acquiesce what you're, you're witnessing on some mm -hmm. level. Yeah. When you returned to your family that morning, or that, it sounds like you were out for the whole day. What did your family say? Do you remember anything of what happened when you got back? And did you try and tell them what had happened to you? Because they clearly must have asked you. No, it was um, from then on, I was known as Nature Boy. Okay. So my brother, oh, Nature Boy wants to run through the woods. And, 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 and I would just be... I was kind of angry. I, I yeah. felt uh, I felt uh, um, some animosity towards them, and I don't ever recall trying to describe. It was instantaneous. The effect was that uh, that I had lost my mind, and that's why I was running through the woods naked, and uh, um, and that. Oh my God! You know, my mom was upset. She was like, "What happened here? Where's your shirt, your pants?" You know. Mm -hmm. so, and I have no explanation. I was completely innocent. You know, I didn't have any. Uh, you know, you're still that at that age, six or seven. You don't realize that that's you know socially unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And so there was that little bit of uh, shaming, and then the ridicule. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I never, ever. In fact, I never ever understood what happened for many years and and then like i was telling you earlier the um uh reading uh the celtic twilight some of the uh descriptions of experiences and then uh specifically a lady that was in the woods with her family and she heard the music and she told everyone to run back to the car and, and she was terrified yeah because uh, she knew what it was and yeah. uh so he had a strong instinctual uh, response to that. And yeah, so I was never able to enunciate that. I mean, imagine me trying to say that I found a fairy mound in the woods mm. or a fairy fort. They would think I was a lunatic. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, yeah, that's pretty much how that went. Yeah. No that's, one would have. Yeah, that's so sad. I mean, when you said nature boy, I felt like you could wear that as a badge of honor and actually reclaim that because you were nature boy in terms of, yeah, I am nature boy. And, <laughs> you know, I'm connected with it. But, you know, when you're a kid and you, you get it that you're being made fun of and um, that people don't understand and you very quickly, you know, but you were entirely vulnerable in your, in your innocence and, but in your, in your physical state and that you were undressed and so that's that's really hard you know um something's happened that you can't even explain I mean thank goodness those fishermen brought you in because as you later found out you know that water was incredibly cold and yet you couldn't feel it um I didn't this, feel it no and that's that's you know another thing that I I'd consider because you you really can't swim in one of those lakes for more than about ten minutes and you'll probably drown because you you'll become hypothermic. It's going to draw all of your body heat away. Mm -hmm. um, but I I don't even remember feeling the cold. It didn't it didn't feel cold. Uh, you know, I think I was almost in some sort of primal yeah. state uh, where I, I really was connecting with uh, the part of me that is ancient. You know, I've always been fascinated by bodies of water. I, anytime I, I get near a body of water, I start to scan immediately. And then I, I have caught myself doing that going, wow, that's an that's unusual. Why do I always fixate on the surface of the water? I want to look into it. And of yeah. course, that would be uh, something, you know, in, that that uh, would be genetic. Uh, you know, my ancestors fished. I know they did because okay. I love it. That was instinctive, you know, from early on. 
Um, but what is it about water and bodies of water you know, mm. that, that just uh, they have a magnetic uh, presence? And um, so I was drawn to the water immediately. And uh, I don't know. Like I said, I was out there in the middle. This is a big lake, too. It's not a small lake. I mean, it was pretty huge, many acres, yeah. probably eight acres. Um, and uh, and I was out in the middle of it, this little, you know, just swimming. And uh, but I never, ever felt cold. I never I never had the shock of uh, going in that water uh, is a shock, you know, because mm-hmm. it's 50, 55 maybe 60 degrees so that's considerably lower than your 98.6 so when you hit that water you you feel it it's bracing but i never felt anything it was if as if i were uh numbed out you know i just uh hit the water and started swimming so i think about that do you feel that you were being drawn towards the center of that lake yes okay yeah. Yeah, magnetically that that was and and I had gotten out there and that's where I stopped. I pretty much well was treading water at that point. And then and then the fishermen, they they probably saw me from across the lake, because uh, they came from quite a ways away. I remember a motoring right. towards me and uh they, they got up to me and um uh, insisted that I get in the boat, you know, and then okay. they hauled me in. Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. Oh, my goodness. I mean, something at the center of the lake, because that 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 bodies of water like that and lore, they have a living thing like a tree has its own spirit that sometimes people can see will manifest itself um, if you're on the right vibratory uh, wavelength. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I'm wondering whether. So by that point, you you weren't hearing the music anymore. No, no, it stopped right. um, when I got to the mound. It it just tapered off. Tapered off. And I can remember it fading, and and so that was kind of dramatic because um, I knew I had reached the destination yeah. uh, that I where I was supposed to be. Where that was the that was where I wanted to go. So I think that those were the the forest folk. Yes. And and I met, I met with them and I conferred with them on some level and then I went to the water uh ferry. I, mm. I was attracted to that too immediately. Mm. So I felt like I was um contacting, I was making contact with them on some level mm. that they were interested in me and that probably were aware of my presence because you know, at that age, I had unlimited energy. I was like a little Superman. I could just run through the woods, and I would. I mean, run and run and run and run and never get tired. The more I ran, the better I felt. It's like, you know, when you're that young, you're so, uh, you have so much energy. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful time of life. You can't understand anything. Nothing really makes sense. Or, or maybe it does. Maybe, maybe they have a better sense of the world than we do. And we, we don't, as we get older, we lose that. That's yeah. what a lot of people. But you're feeling the energy of the woods and it's, you know, you, you get something from that too. I was thinking about the fact that you, you know, had this lost time as well. Cause for you, it seemed like that, that was over fairly briefly that you ran. And you ended up this mound, which I don't suppose you've ever been able to plot that geographically on the woods that you were in, whether there are any ancient mounds there. It's uh, adjacent to a place called Lake. And um, I have looked at it on Google Maps because I've considered that it would be really incredible to go back there and try yeah. to find it and just see if if I could get drawn to it again if I could locate it it's beautiful thank you thank you so much just it's just a you know a lovely reminder of how we are innately connected with nature and that that is the way that we have always been and it's really only in relatively you know modern history that we have effectively kind of turned our backs on that or, or um you know actively 
actively blocked that natural affiliation that we hold with nature. And um, those memories that you have are, are absolute treasures, aren't they? Do you know about your ancestry? So you mentioned that you're in your family, there you, you can't come from a line of fishermen. Do you know anything about your ancestry at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're Welsh and Scottish, right. almost entirely. Okay. And then my, my father, they're Irish and uh, Dutch, so they both come from the Netherlands. So, yeah. Yeah, my, all my in that part of Europe and uh, especially the British Isles. So the Welsh are apparently the indigenous uh, peoples uh, of the British Isles. They have genetically... Uh, a unique genetic composition. I saw that on uh, it was PBS or something like that. They had done a DNA study, and they based that on the Red Lady of Pavilion, the uh, ritual oh, Pavilion. burial. That, yes, yeah. my my yeah. friend lives near there. I've never been. I must go. Yeah, that that's a really interesting find, wasn't it? Paint the bones with uh, ochre, and they, you know, that's something that they've never understood. But uh, apparently, that that the uh, archaeologist or anthropologist that found that those remains thought that it was a Roman prostitute, and it turned out to be uh, a young man, and it was actually not two thousand or three thousand years old, but more like fourteen thousand years old. Wow. Um, and, and that um, it, the uh, descendants of uh, this person uh, were, um, they could find the genetic markers in this whole classroom of Welsh children that Amazing. they, so, so that's, you know, how they determined that uh, you know, they've been there. They're the indigenous Britons, the Welsh. Amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, my, as soon as my great grandparents came over from Wales, you know, right. turn of the century, and so yeah, I've always felt a strong connection to all of that—the lore and um, um, the myth of of the, the magic of the British Isles. It's an amazing, amazing place, amazing people, and uh, that 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 you. I had no idea that Jersey was on the coast of France. I'd heard that of Jersey. In fact, I didn't even know it was an island, but you know, I'm an American, so geography. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm absolutely terrible. You know, having come from Jersey, I don't really know my way around the UK yet. So you're doing really well, even to have heard of Jersey. But yeah. um, to me, it sounds as if anyway, you brought this magic with you through your ancestry, your way of being, to Florida, and to the Appalachian, and. You know, you you hold it within you. I think that that's something that seems very clear to me. Thank you so much for sharing these stories with me. I feel like I'll probably have more questions for you because I'm just it's it's such it's such a wonderful collection communing with nature uh, in this way. And um, maybe we'll speak again sometime. And and if you do do your hypnotism, if you if you look into that a little more. Do you think you'd be tempted to go back and see if if you can tune in to, to that particular time when you went missing in the forest and into the water? Yeah, that would be like a uh, kind of a quest, uh, yeah. wouldn't it? And I'm not, I'm actually relying on, on real hypnotists to take me, uh, to induct me. That's the word they use when you're, you're inducted, when you... Uh, achieve that that level of consciousness alpha stage but i'm i'm not uh i know that people get really good at meditating and that they can do things like that that they can access uh and and apparently there there really is no other time than now in a greater sense that that what we think is history is actually is not behind us and that the future is not ahead of us and and that's when you get closer to god you start to realize that that uh that everything is really now and those memories are uh vivid like i said they're very very uh, they have the fabric of reality more than 
most of my experiences in life that, that you know I thought yes. were unique or close. Um, so yeah, definitely if I can, uh, it's fun. It's actually it is a journey. Every time I go back and I go over every part of that, for me the the uh, seeing my shadow on the ground and 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 that it was horizontal. Okay, so the sun was pretty high in the sky at that point. If I were upright, I would have seen a very little shadow of, of vertical, and instead it was flat. So that meant that I was I was parallel to the earth, and uh, and I also you know remember that I wasn't running. I, I had my legs had stopped moving. I, I ran so fast. I started to run like I always do. I loved to run through the woods when I was that age. And at some point, I just launched. Yeah, yeah. Most people will think I'm insane, but, you know, no. the mem- memory of the shadow. Well, I know you You probably have you know, faith enough to realize mm-hmm. that this really well, you know, might have occurred. But uh, um, this is something but that happens. And I can call if I, if I, focus on it and um yeah the whole experience was that was an incredible amazing inexplicable and it only years later was i able to 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 pull together enough information to to realize what had actually happened but the memory was always there of of the whole experience and uh and probably the you know being made fun of and stuff that that uh, burned in a little because I was pretty anxious about that. When you're you know you're a boy, you don't want to be you know you want to be strong and you don't want to be called nature boy. That's kind of a maybe an effeminate thing. And um, so I was kind of you know like I said, I had some animosity towards them for for calling me names and things like that. Yeah. I didn't live that down for the whole summer, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I will, I will, if I can, uh, if I can do a detailed report on that, you know, to, to try to, it's, uh, you know, something I'll definitely work on. Time to I'm sure you'll agree that this is quite an amazing experience and once again I thank our guest for sharing it with us. There are a number of areas of interest. The first is the sense of being drawn into the forest. He said he had played in the forest many times and had the sense that there'd been some familiarity at play between him and the forest itself, as if it had observed him. The means of enchantment in this case was music. It reminds me of a share in seeing fairies from a woman called Mary Oliver, who, when 11 years old in the early 20th century, would visit her family's island in the Muskoka Lakes in Canada. She was afraid of the wood and particularly terrified of crossing a bridge over a brook until one day she saw a little man exit from a hole in the ground. After that, note the communion there between person and being, she felt fine to cross the bridge ever after. Later, when she attended boarding school in Germany, she heard, and I quote, a strange sound of music. She looked out of her window to the Thuringian forest and saw a band of gnomes marching round a tree in the snow beneath her window. The next day, she told her headmistress, Baroness von Bornberg, about it, and the Baroness was very much interested. They do exist here, she admitted. My sister saw them and my grandmother used to see them, but no one except you has seen them since the war. Although there are many people in the village who would not work here in the castle because of them. There is a tale, though I dare say it's only a tale, that in my great-grandfather's youth, a cat brought one into the kitchen once. The music was so wonderful, Mary told her. Yes, she replied. I've heard about that music. When a boy in the village hears it, it's supposed to mean that he's going to make a fortune. Of course, another interesting aspect is the experience of levitation. Our guest recalls this vividly, noting his shadow on the ground. We discussed records of saints' levitation on the last episode. And while I need to research it further, 
it appears that one of the 16th century Königsberg manuscript poems referenced in Thomas Crofton Croker's fairy legends and traditions of the south of Ireland refers to Alps, which appear to signify spirits of the Alpine forests deceiving human beings. The line reads, tell him that he flies, or that perhaps an Alp deceives him in his dreams. I really would love to look further into levitation and considering the last two episodes have involved some kind of levitation and strangely enough Dr Simon Young recently revealed his own episode on levitation. I just feel like this subject is particularly calling me at the moment. I do have a special interest in that. Our guest's story of being led into the water is obviously extremely concerning. Dangerous water-dwelling beings are a well-known motif within folklore. They're often beautiful goddesses or mermaids in the stories, yet more commonly in local folklore they're known as dangerous figures such as Jenny Greenteeth, who is often associated with stagnant pools, and the green foliage that grows on the surface giving a potentially treacherous false impression of grass, or sometimes refers to the duckweed beneath the waterways that might entangle a child that got caught within it. Other characters associated with water in England are Peg Powler of the Tees River and Peg O'Neill of the River Ribble in Lancashire and Yorkshire. There are Welsh tales of beautiful lake maidens and water fairies who sometimes own fairy cattle that are herded into the depths. While there are also the Necker or the Nixa in German and Norwegian folklore, And we know all about the enchanted Lady of the Lake in 12th and 13th century medieval romance poems, famously featured in Walter Scott's poem. In these tales, the lady known as Vivian, Ninian or Nimu is a water fairy who in one version holds the power to grant the sword Excalibur to Arthur and carry away the hero Lancelot. From speaking to people as part of my research, I have found that When folk encounter beings associated with water, they seem to be particularly pokey. They seem to end up in situations that are potentially dangerous or that are rather harrowing. So I really want to understand more this association between water and the spirits that dwell there and what our relationship with these beings is about. Is it to warn us away? Is it to entice us in? I'm looking forward to researching this subject more deeply. Equally, the motif of being pixie-led and lost in moors and forests permeates folklore everywhere, particularly pixies in Devon and piskies in Cornwall. And of course, tying in with our guests' experience, they may inhabit fairy mounds. This poem excerpt attributed to Ben Johnson, which is featured in Carew Hazlitt's Fairy Tales, Legends and Romances, illustrating Shakespeare. Here Robin Goodfellow taunts us. If any wanderers I meet, that from their night sport do trudge home, with counterfeiting voice I greet, and cause them on with me to roam. Through woods, through lakes, through bogs, through brakes, over bush and brier with them I go. I call upon them to come on, and wend me laughing ho, ho, ho. Sometimes I meet them like a man, sometimes an ox, sometimes a hound. And to a horse I turn me can, to trip and trot about them round. But if to ride my back they stride, more swift than wind away I go. Over hedge and lands, through pools and ponds, I whinny laughing ho, ho, ho. Traditionally, one way to escape if you find yourself pixie-led is to remove your clothes and turn them inside out. I wonder if removing your clothes altogether may work similarly. My instinct is of course one of great concern for this little boy who experienced such an extreme encounter with the unknown. Yet what I keep coming back to is that he says he was not afraid. In fact, by the time he had this experience, he had already met with a winter sprite around the age of four or five. Did that make some kind of difference? It reminds me of the excerpt I just read above from Seeing Fairies of, of Mary Oliver, who also had had a previous meeting with fairy beings by the time she got to her boarding school in Germany. 
was something that then she was open to and she never lost that, that sense of connection. For now, let's take in the sense of wonder that this share provides us with. It's hard not to slip into a state of fear when imagining this happening to us or our children. It goes against all our understandings of possibilities in this realm, that we could fly or traverse cold water without being aware of the temperature, or even that we could be drawn inexplicably into a forest by seemingly enchanted music. This experience runs so many familiar lines of folklore throughout it, but we still have no explanation. What we can say is that our guest has managed to maintain throughout his life that childhood innate connection with nature that many of us lose. At this time, a great number of people are rediscovering their joy of nature and noticing positive effect on their well-being. As the old world slips away, crumbling and arguing with itself, there is something new emerging. It calls us to follow our own paths of meaning and share them with one another to stand with nature, protecting and reclaiming green spaces, rediscover and harness the wisdom of plants and fungi which provide us with everything we need in this world, and to continue our journey deeper into the green, where we always remain curious. <laughs>